Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we are real people talking about real things, child abuse and neglect, a topic that is all too often left in the shadows of silence, leaving survivors alone, fearful, and oftentimes without a voice. We're having conversations to become louder than silence. It is here where we will invite you to join us and be the change needed to end child abuse and neglect. Hi, I am Lori Poland, and I am here with our Louder Than Silence podcast. And today the podcast is a little unique because it was actually an interview done by one of our remarkable colleagues and friends and the recipient actually of the Partnership Award for the um, National Foundation and Child Abuse and Neglect's first gala. And um, that is the uh, number story. Hello, I'm Joy Thomas with Number Story and the ACE Resource Network. And I'm so excited to be here with an incredible powerhouse of a person and a leader, someone I personally admire so much, Lori Poland. Thank you, Lori, so much for being with me here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure, truly, because I feel the exact same about you. Oh, thank you. Um, I am so excited. I've gotten to know you a little bit as the co-founder and executive director of the National Foundation to End Child Abuse and Neglect, known as NCAN. Um, you travel nationally as a motivational speaker talking about possibilities after trauma, um, yeah. becoming a transcender, which I just love that, that word, that concept, um, and also the ripple effects of trauma on children and families. Um, and you are also an author, and that's what we're here to talk about today, your newly published memoir titled, I Live Here, learning to heal through embracing your story. I just finished reading it this weekend. Um, I took my time with it. It's one that you I savored and put down and came back to a lot. And um, what a powerful and moving, moving story. And thank you so much for sharing it um, with the world, um, with me. Um, it's it's an amazing, amazing story. Thank you. And I know you've been sharing your story in many ways for many years um, and uh, as a speaker, as I mentioned, but also a leader, a connector of survivors and organizations and supporters creating change together. But can you tell us a little bit about what this process was like, your role as an author, um, embracing your story by writing, uh, very personal and incredibly powerful memoir and then putting it out here in the world yeah. what has this been like for you you know what's funny is i uh aaron harbour who is he has a, a tv show and a radio show and he's just a bombshell he's just like he his mere existence is strength and so he said to me three and a half years ago, Lori, you just need to write a book. Just get it done, get it out. It'll only take a couple of months and it'll be good. Just make it small, but get it out. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So I thought I set a six month deadline and I thought I would get her done. And um, it wasn't like that at all. Mm. <laughs> um, the experience of doing my own research and processing things that I had known through narratives, my abduction. So I was abducted in 1983 and that's a lot of what the book is stemmed around. 
have, um, I was only three. So my memory of it was so limited. And yet I've had a lot of narrative told to me throughout my life. And, um, and that narrative, I had to confirm, I had to understand, I had to get a greater lens around. So I spent a lot of time in the beginning talking to a lot of people that were there, um, as well as reading all of the files and all the court reports and all the medical records and clinical records and everything. And it was just a big process. So it took a minute. It took three years to write and then another six months to publish just because of fear. Mm. Wow. Yeah. How does it feel now that it's published? Um, it's like a coin. There is, um, well, maybe it's not like a coin. It's like an iceberg. Mm. The, the iceberg that the part of the iceberg that's exposed is terrified. And um, I know a huge part of my delay in publication of my story, I've been asked for a lot of years to write it, um, but a huge part of that delay is just the impact mm -hmm. and how as trauma survivors, well, really as humans, we all have different recollections of experience. And so it's like, it's kind of like when a car accident happens, the cops don't bring everybody together and say, okay, what did you see? They separate everybody and ask their own personal narrative because everybody sees and experiences things mm. from their own lens. And in my experience for my kidnapping, it, every single human I've ever met that was around during that time and remembers it, remembers it differently. And so I had to do both my own personal exploration, but also this phenomenological research project to understand the commonalities and the common themes to really grasp like the reality and the impact of my story. And so the whole rest of the iceberg is where like, I mean, there's just a lot of richness in all of it. And, um, and and knowing that there are a few, very small few people, just a couple of people that are adamantly against the story. Um, and those people are really like the people, the closest people in my life. And so when those people disagree with you or say, you know, the, or, or change the story, because that's what's happened, it's, um, it's been a lot. And so having it out has been both beautiful and a lot underneath all of it so i can imagine that's so much um you committed your career to this cause really not just your career your your right. life mm -hmm. um to ending child abuse and neglect and helping heal um the cycles and the ripple effects and um i have a a feeling and we know that there are a lot of other survivors in helping professions whose personal stories might inform our missions in life mm -hmm. um but i'm wondering hearing this and what also what you're going through putting this out in the world what are some ways that you took care of yourself during mm -hmm. the three years of writing mm -hmm. i live here and how do you continue to take care of yourself um putting your story out in the world and at, even as you continue to do the work that you do, yeah. knowing that it taps into your own personal trauma. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the residual effects of that trauma, right? Um, so just the last 72 hours, I have, I've said this a couple of times to a number of people. I've had a lot of people self-disclose in the last four days, um, which is beautiful. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for, right? Um, but what a, a lot of people have asked is how did you get through that process? And I've just had this epiphany that um, every time I felt whatever it was that I was feeling, I allowed myself to feel that. Mm. So when I first started, I got through page one of my clinical note and I lost it. <laughs> I, I had a complete breakdown. I emailed my treating psychiatrist in the UK at like 4 a.m. his time and was like, I need to talk to you right now. <laughs> Um, um, I just allowed myself to be wherever it was that I was. And I think that's what took so long was mm -hmm. there were times where I was like paralyzed in fear. There were times where I was angry with rage and I don't really operate out of an angry place very often. I mean, occasionally I, I do get mad, but it's not really my MO. I try really hard to be what I need, which is love and nurturing. And so um, when I'm sad, I'm sad. And when I cry, I cry. And when I'm happy, I'm happy. And what's really neat is that just in the last 72 hours, I talked to my therapist about this and, and my partner. And I've had this realization that when I allow myself just to be wherever I'm at, I get through it really quickly. And I don't stay stuck because it's like a stream or like a river, you know, and it just, it just keeps moving. And and I just move right through it. And so, and I like take on the next boulder that I'm going to, you know, whatever comes next, I just kind of handle that as it, as it comes. Wow. That's a really beautiful testament to the power of the feeling now. our feelings that allowing the embodiment of yeah. our emotions and something yeah. a lot of us, I think, struggle with when yeah. we haven't been able to do that safely and that's really a beautiful thing to hear you can be in that flow and and the the pain can flow right through you too and you can keep on yeah. moving yeah well and, and joy i learned at the age of three i had the i had the it was my first realization that i was alone and i spent four days in the bottom of a toilet by myself at an age where a human needs another person to feed and touch and take care of them. And I learned at a very young age that I couldn't depend on that. And so while that has been my trigger and that has been my trauma, it's also been my survival mechanism of like, just be wherever I'm at. And I didn't realize that. I've only realized that in the last few weeks of being re-traumatized and re-abused, um, honestly, um, in the last two weeks since my book came out by those people that were supposed to love and protect me. And um, and it's hard every time, but I just keep doing it and keep showing up and knowing that I have to be with me and that's all I can count on. And I can't let anything or anyone else interfere with whatever that response is mm. wow 
Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Something that really resonated with me as I read is how important it can be to feel like our stories belong to Mm -hmm. us. Yeah. Um, And I think for many of us who suffered or experienced some significant adversities Mm -hmm. when we were children, we may face obstacles to feeling like, we can fully share or make decisions about or sometimes even access our own stories. Um, you mentioned going back and finding people who were there and looking up history around what happened. And um, sometimes being that. able to do that or even hearing different versions or even being denied any conversation about it um or denial altogether yeah or i there's uh, phrases that echo back like that's not your story to tell that resonated powerfully and i think um we're not alone in that in the world that sometimes grown-ups feel more entitled to children's Stories. stories because um you know, they, they remember them in yeah. their way. And um, I'm wondering if there's any insight you might be able to offer to anyone listening or watching or reading um, your story who might be carrying the weight of an untold story. Um, we're not all going to publish memoirs, right? But is yeah. there any insight you might have or any any advice or any thoughts you might offer to folks holding their stories? You know, um, thank you for asking that question, Joy. And um, in, in this very moment, I'm living through reliving that as we speak. And um, and I'm, I'm new and, and everybody said, well, you saw this coming when your book was published. You, you knew that your story was gonna be disputed and that people were gonna try and take your story from you, which happens oh so often mm. to survivors. And so, you know, you knew this was coming. And I, I've even told my staff, um, well, I'm like ugly crying on Tuesday morning, just a couple days ago with my staff. And, um, I said to them, you know, it's, it's kind of like a boxer, right? They know they're getting in the rink and they know they're going to get hit and they know they're going to bleed and they're no, they know they're going to have this recovery process afterwards. But, None of that knowing takes away from the pain of the punch, the redness of the blood, the, you know, the, the healing that you have to go through afterwards, then it's, it's like knowing you're going to die or sudden death. What, you know, what's the benefit of both? Right. And I'm in that right now. And what I know I am so blessed to have is I had a very public story. Well, that certainly had a lot of underbelly awfulness. It also documented what happened just through my kidnapping, not all the other right. stuff and the residual impacts and the, um, like the, the ripple effect of adversity, right? We don't have voice and value for that. We really don't. And, and my book, I really tried to amplify that. And I, was so lucky to have court reports and and um testimony and video coverage and 
even my own forensic interview, it wasn't called that in 1983, but I have my own videos of me saying exactly what happened to me. And as a clinician, being able to translate that for myself and with colleagues. And I mean, I am so lucky to have that. And the majority, like way more, like I, I, my guess would be close to 95 plus percent of survivors don't have that. And so what happens to us is that when we have those protective people in our lives that don't protect us or that minimize or take that story, it it creates that self-doubt that was already planted during our abuse. Because when a child is, is it has those adverse experiences in, in any of the ACEs, right? They're not all abusive. But when a child has what I call a major attachment disruption, which are essentially the ACEs, it changes their brain chemistry. It changes their knowing. It changes their worldview. And, and that is the seed. And every time they're denied or robbed of that story, it's just water. And so what I would say to my fellow survivors or my fellow um, lived experiencers, I would say to all of us that, first of all, what you know to be true is your truth. And if you can own just your truth without needing to prove or disprove or or verify or justify any of it, when you can own that, you begin to let the candle within become brighter. And that's where our light begins to shine in a unified way. And the silence is what the perpetrators count on. The silence is what the shamed need. And and I wish so badly that the people that feel anger and shame and, and resentment towards me for sharing my story, I wish so badly that they would heal um, because I recognize their anger is coming from, from shame and guilt and fear. And I can't own that for them. I can't hold that for them anymore. I it, It's either do that for them, which I've been doing for 38 years, 39, or help somebody else who is begging and crying and, and lonely. And I know what it feels like to be alone. And I don't, I, I don't want anybody to feel that way mm. because of this, because of other people's pain. So the abuse carries on when we are silenced. That's just one more toggle of another form of adversity. And every single time you're silenced or rejected or denied or avoided or any of those things, it's one more penny in the jar. And that weighs so much. And I'm, I say, like, let's crack that jar. Let's throw that jar. Like, let's be rid of it. Because this is just mine. Just mine. That's really beautiful. Can you just, I think, to, to bring us home here, can you speak briefly to the flip side of that, that, that there's that weight of, of not, being able to tell our story or when we're denied our story, but um, a little more to that, that lighting of our candles and what happens when we bring that light together that, because yeah. that's something that spoke to me throughout your, your 
book and your story and even just knowing you a little bit as a person is that your light is um it just refuses to be dimmed and it's amazing and i see you using your flame to help light others when they need that spark and to give them the bravery and to give them that um that affirmation um of those words you just spoke that your truth is yours and um the power of storytelling tell mm-hmm. can you speak to that a little bit the power uh, of telling your story yeah you a little about all the different places you've told your story and all the ways it can help change in the world but what happens if we share our stories what happens if all our different stories that are from so many different perspectives what happens if we're able to share what yeah i mean i would i would just use two um two quotes one is that many hands make light work and rising tides raise all, raise all ships and um or something like that i'm sure i botched that second one but i do that all the time um so one thing that i have been honored to witness is the power of collectivism and growing up in the um age of communication advancement um i've watched so many things come into more of a public platform not individually but holistically as in a in a communal sort of way and that's through through equal rights through human rights through women's liberation through lgbt movement through suicide awareness through breast cancer awareness i mean all heart disease all of the things that once if you had breast cancer you went and got treatment and you were home by five and you're making dinner you know nobody knew and now if you have breast cancer you you proudly you know you wear pink you know you show up on a saturday morning in a tutu and every person that knows you is with you and not because they have lived experience because they support you and if we can do that for all of those things i'm like bring it there is so much possibility for what we can do for child abuse and and really helping parents and adults love and protect our children in a healthier way and i think the the one thing that henry kemp was so good at saying is that abusive parents love their children very much just not very well and it's our job to teach them to do that better and so that power of story to me is us teaching our community to look out and protect our look out for and protect our children better. And so I just invite everybody, whether you have your own lived experience or you know somebody with lived experience, I invite every single person to stand forward and to live in their own truth, not denying or fighting with anybody else's truth, but just live in yours. And if we can do that, we can truly end childhood adversities and truly lead to healthier, safe, secure upbringings of the humans that we're trying, like the humans that we're going to count on to, to lead us someday. So it just gives me so much hope. And your story is one that's full of hope. Um, 
that's something that was incredibly moving to me. Your um, incredible transformation, um, your transcendence, truly. Um, you've been through some of the darkest depths of human experience, and you're now a leader, a torchbearer for others, and a change maker um, in this field and in so many individual lives and in the collective, truly. So thank you so much for sharing with us today and for the work that you are continuing to do every day. And we can all help join Lori in helping bring an end to child abuse and neglect at ncan.org. And you can check out um, Lori's moving memoir, I Live Here, Learning to Heal Through Embracing Your Story. Thank you so much, Lori. Joy. Thanks for your work too. I believe in you. I love you. I value you. And I want to do everything and anything I can to support you. Oh, thank you. That's so yeah. mutual. Thank you so much. Thank you. thank you for joining us. 